I have the honor to read our scripture today. It comes from Luke 12, verse 13 through, 20, 30, 13 through 21. If you'd like to open your Bibles, you can, or you can uh, look up here with our PowerPoint as well. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, mm, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. So, are you a greedy person? I'm guessing you answered no to that. Because I'm not sure there are many people who would actually say they're a greedy person. Because, come on, we all know what greed looks like. And it looks like this. That's right. We know Scrooge McDuck, and we're not him. But is that really what greed looks like? What if greed was a little more subtle, a little more insidious? Could you see it in yourself, even if it was there? Well, here are five ways greed can show up in your life. First, hoarding. Greed can create a compulsion in us to buy more and just keep buying even when we don't need things. See, this can lead to cluttered closets, basements filled with unused stuff, and the inability to get rid of things. So that's one. Two, how about excessive spending? Greed can drive you to spend and beyond your means and rack up credit card debt. Three, overworking. Greed can drive you to work long hours or get a second job to earn more money. And it, you accumulate wealth often at the expense of others, like your family, or at the expense of your health, or even your soul. Four, manipulation. Greed can compel you to, to manipulate the system, lie in order to get more benefits, or maybe it might, you might even exploit others for your own financial gain. And fifth, Jealousy. Greed can create in you a desire to keep up with other people who seemingly have more than you. So, and this can lead to just a never 
unending cycle of comparison and discontentment. Now, doesn't greed seem a lot more tangible now? Doesn't it feel a lot more common and a lot more frightening? So it's good that Jesus taught directly about greed because God knows we need it. So our passage today begins with a guy coming up to Jesus and asking him to resolve an inheritance dispute with his brother. Now, this might sound like a strange request. I know I've never had two brothers come up and want to, want to resolve a financial dispute. It's never happened to me. But if they did, you know I'd go all dad on them. And get, well, if you can't share nicely, then neither of you are getting the money. You can make the check payable to River Life Church. There we go. Okay. Now, see, now that might seem strange to us. But back then it wasn't. You see, rabbis were regularly sought out to resolve family conflicts. So this was actually a pretty normal thing for Jesus. And now, what was amazing was Jesus didn't even answer the question. Instead, he took the opportunity for a teachable moment. And see, in his response, he addressed the problem with greed, the consequences of greed, and also the solution to greed. All in just a few minutes. Well, and now in case you're falling asleep on me this morning, and here's a little summary, okay? Here it is. In a world obsessed with getting more, Jesus reminds us that true wealth is found in faith, contentment, and generosity. In a world obsessed with getting more, Jesus reminds us that true wealth is found in faith, contentment, and generosity. So let's talk about the problem with greed. So after sidestepping the guy's, pro the guy's question, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, now, I guess we have to define greed. We have to start by defining our terms. But I suspect we all know it when we see it, at least in other people. And so greed at its core is wanting more. Let me say that again. Greed at its core is wanting more. It's a desire for more wealth, more possessions, more power, more status and often at the expense of others. So greed grows, and if it grows strong enough, greed can even drive a person to do unethical or illegal things. Don't believe me? Well, research out of Berkeley back in 2012 found that higher income people behaved more unethically than lower income people. And they found that in all seven tests, test studies they did. See, that's the problem with greed. Now, why does Jesus tell us to be on our guard against greed? Well, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, greed is a liar. Greed says more is always better. Greed reassures more money will solve your problems. Greed promises more money 
will make you happier. Greed says you deserve this. Greed entices the more you have, the better your life will be. And greed affirms if you are worth more, then you're worth more. See, greed is a liar. That's the problem with greed. And greed always overpromises and underdelivers. Greed all is never satisfied. It always demands more. And see, every one of these lies is refuted by Jesus' statement, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Whatever you're looking for in more money, more clothes, a better car, a new phone, a bigger house, whatever you're looking for, you will not find there. Money and possessions will not give your life more value or significance. Matthew Henry, a famous theologian from the 1600s, described it like this. The things of the world will not suit the nature of a soul, nor supply its needs, nor satisfy its desires, nor last so long as it will last. So next, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate the consequences of greed. See, so a farmer has a really good harvest. So he decides to tear down his barns and build bigger barns. And then he just wants to sit back, take it easy, and enjoy life. But then he dies. And everything he worked for is gone. See, the focus of this parable is not on wealth itself, but rather on your attitude in acquiring it. See, the man in the story experiences a bountiful harvest and has to decide what to do with it all. But the text shows where his heart really is. See, let me read part of it with a little added emphasis. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. See, his approach to stumbling on wealth is to become self-centered. It was all about him. Me, 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 my stuff, my stuff, my stuff. See, he doesn't want to share his abundance with anyone else. He wants to keep it for himself. And that's the first consequence of greed. You ultimately become selfish. Now, see, the essence of greed is keeping what God gives you for yourself. Now, there's another consequence of greed that we see here, is that you begin to think that this life is all there is. He even says, take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. Makes sense. If all of your goals are earthly and temporal, then why wouldn't you live it up? YOLO! Well, that moment was brought to you by Awkward Middle-Aged Man and the year 2012. You're welcome. But seriously, why not? 
Why not live it up if this is all there is? Now, the third consequence of greed is that you claim ownership over your success, your money, even yourself. Now, there's an incredible play on words in the original Greek in this passage that kind of gets lost in translation. But see, in verses 19 and 20, all three of these words in red are all the same word, just translated differently according to their context. So here's what it might look like in Greek to get a better sense of this play on words. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be demanded from you. See, this man thinks that his soul, his life force is his own, but it's not. It's ultimately God's. Even the word demanded is the word for paying back alone. See, his very life is not his own. It's on loan from God. It doesn't belong to him. Neither does yours and neither does mine. But Jesus offers a solution to all of this. He offers a solution to greed, and it's in the last line of the passage. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, what's the solution to greed? Be rich toward God. The ultimate goal of our lives is not to accumulate wealth and possessions, but to be rich toward God. Now, this means investing in your relationship with Him, using our resources to bless others, and living a life that reflects God's love and His grace. That's what it means to be rich toward God. Now, the rich man in the parable was called a fool because he stored up treasures for himself, but was not rich toward God. See, in the end, he lost everything. Everything he had worked so hard to accumulate. Now, let us not make the same mistake, but instead seek to build a legacy of faith, not only for our lives, but for the lives of the next generation and even onto eternity. So here are five investments you can make to be rich toward God. One, invest in your relationship with Him. Know Him better. Read the Bible. Study. Attend church. And then spend time with Him like you would any friend. Two, invest your resources to bless others. Donate. Practice unexpected generosity and with nothing in return. Give to the church regularly, generously, and according to your ability. That's biblical giving. Three, invest in the faith of the next generation. Look for ways to support our children and our youth. I know many of you serve in the children's ministry, in the nursery, even with Thrive. 
And a whole bunch of you have been participating in our Thrive fundraiser to invest in the spiritual lives of our youth. So thank you for doing that. Look for more opportunities to do just that. And then lastly, invest in learning to be content with what you have. Learn to say, I want what I have. I don't need any more. Four different investments. How are you going to invest all that God has given you? So this parable gives us the life and the death of a rich man. But it's up to us to determine if he was a happy man. See, the true measure of wealth is not in what you accumulate, but how you use your resources to honor God and bless others. And that is where true life can be found. Pray with me. God, you have given each one of us so much. Let us use it to honor you. Let us use it to bless others. Give us generous hearts instead of fearful hearts. I speak against the fear and the greed that sits in our hearts. And for anyone here who is afraid to be generous out of fear of losing more or the desire to want more, I pray against that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray freedom for those people and for their souls. God, help us be generous. Help us avoid the traps of greed that so much in this world drive us to. And said, let, our tur- let, our, let us turn our hearts to you, our eyes to you, our wallets to you. And speak to us today about how and where you want us to invest so that we can be rich toward you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.